City Church in Over the Rhine is cultivating the kind of family Jesus introduced to the world in the city of Cincinnati. We're glad you're choosing to listen to a sermon from our weekly service. We would love to meet you. Visit us on Instagram or at citychurchotr.com. Enjoy. Well, hello, City Church people. It's good to be back with you today. And uh, by way of introduction, by the way, your pastor, Chris, texted me early in the morning, and he said, uh, hey, just want you to know I'm praying for you. And I, and I started to text back, is that today? And I thought, he might have a heart attack. He's a, a pretty wired guy, isn't he? By way of introduction, let me uh, just say, I pastored a church here in Cincinnati for a place called The Vineyard. I was there for 30 years almost, and, and then 10 years ago, stepped down from leading that to just help churches get a little healthier, a little more effective. It's an honor to be here. Thank you guys for inviting me. Uh, although the most of you didn't have anything to do with it. But thanks. Chris asked me to continue this series that you guys have been in uh, on Galatians by speaking on chapter 5. And I know you find this hard to believe, but Chris gave me very specific instructions in an email. And uh, let, let me actually, I'm going to read his actual email to you. No kidding. He said, uh, Dave, uh, we are a church that loves holding tension, but every now and then we're led to choose one side or the other. Galatians, uh, this or that. Galatians is one of the more confrontational books that Paul writes, often setting up two opposing ideas. So, Dave, please talk about the spirit versus the flesh. Okay, that's good. And then there was more in the email. I was surprised. Um, (laughs) Also, please tell the staff that I want to give them a very substantial raise. Wow, okay. And from now on, all sermons will be 15 minutes long. Uh, Also, I've changed my mind. I now believe in the North Galatian theory. Plus, I don't really understand chiasms. I guess you have to be a regular here to get that. I I didn't understand that. Also, I'm banning all skinny jeans and I would like the worship band to only wear bell-bottoms made of corduroy. It's very specific. I didn't think corduroy was a thing, but maybe. Oh, one last thing. Uh, tell Evu and the worship band to close every service from here on out with Lavender Haze by Taylor Swift. I think it's anointed. So, uh, wow, I didn't see that coming, Evu. Okay, let's get started. That's all true. I'm going to pull out a few key verses in Galatians 5 and then get into the decision that the Apostle Paul is challenging uh, the church in Galatia with. Verse 1 really sets up the theme for the whole letter, and in it, Paul writes, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Wow, so that really is the crux of the whole letter. So right away, he's setting up a dichotomy between uh, freedom and slavery. So you think, okay, that, all right, that's pretty easy choice, right? And then Paul gets into the primary issue, which was the Jewish followers of Jesus were, they were telling the non-Jewish followers, the Gentiles, that if they're going to be Followers of Jesus, if they're going to be Christians, they need to be circumcised. We all know what circumcision is, right? We're all adults here. 
If you remember the Old Testament, circumcision was the sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. It was proof that Abraham and his family and his tribe and all subsequent generations were in a unique relationship with God. So God tells Abraham to circumcise every male in his tribe, and that would be the covenant sign. To which Abraham said, hey, uh, Noah's sign was a rainbow. Uh, I like rainbows, God, but that's not how it works. So Paul is saying something really radical to the Jewish ears here, that you don't have to do that to be in relationship with God. Now, we forget, or maybe you don't, the cultural context there is really, really serious. That was a radical teaching. He's saying you don't have to do that because Jesus is completely and holistically the way into this new covenant or this new contract that God is making with all of humanity now, not just a specialized tribe. That circumcision has no value now. And then he writes, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Wow. Then, a few verses later, he lays out the challenge in what we might call the big decision here in this letter in Galatians 5. And he writes this. So I say, in view of all of that, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So Paul is describing two antagonistic modes of living, that they are diametrically opposed to each other. They're in conflict with each other. And remember, he's making the case that one actually offers real freedom. I mean, real freedom. And the other, suffocating slavery. And we remember that Paul was really anti-Christian. He really hated this new little sect that had emerged among Jews. To the point that he had people imprisoned and executed for their faith. And then he meets Jesus. So he goes on to describe the flesh, which is really the result of living in your own strength. And as marked by things like, He describes later on, he says, anger and jealousy and selfishness and sexual immorality and hatred and so on. And then conversely, the result of living a life led by the Spirit, the life of the Spirit is marked by things like authentic love and real peace and real joy and self-control. And then he makes this bold statement that those who live by their own steam and their own steam, their own strength, apart from the life of God, he says, will never inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that has less to do with the by and by or when you, you know, keel over. It's it's talking about now the way the kingdom functions, the way the kingdom of God is meant to function in our lives and on this planet. So what I'd like to do is back up for a few minutes and take a look at something that's more cosmic in scope. And so one night, I was praying for our church back when I was pastoring, 
And out of the blue, I suddenly got this picture in my mind of a, of a man straddling two worlds, his legs spread apart and straddling two worlds, and it looked like the Colossus of Rhodes. Have you ever heard of, of this, the Colossus of Rhodes? It, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. True, true story. It was a bronze statue. It was built about 300 years before Jesus appeared on the scene. And um, pretty spectacular. It was on the, um, uh, the island of Rhodes near Greece. Almost as large as our Statue of Liberty, it's thought. As a matter of fact, the French sculptor and the designer of the Statue of Liberty, which was given to the States back in the day, was his inspiration. He called it the modern Colossus. So anyway, the legend has it that it's, his legs actually straddled two to uh, straddle the harbor with one foot on one landmass and one foot on the other. And I've, we've been to, I've been to the uh, Greek island of Rhodes, and you can see the harbor now where it actually was. If you have that uh, photo, pull that up. You, you can see where it was. It actually stood for about 50 years, only 50 years, and an earthquake happened, and the thing uh, was shattered, came down to its knees. And uh, the king of Egypt at that time actually agreed that he would, he would bankroll, he would pay for it to be rebuilt because it was such a big deal in that part of the world. But before they could be, begin construction, an oracle said that uh, the earthquake was a sign from the gods and that it was not to be rebuilt. So it wasn't. Anyway, that picture just stuck in my mind. And I felt as though God was saying to us that there that there were, hey, there's a balcony here and people up there. <laughs> well, how are you balcony people? Wow, each time I've come here, I've never uh, realized that. <laughs> are you antisocial? Are, uh, are there issues up there that we need to pray about? I'm sorry, I went off, didn't I? Um, I, felt like, I felt like God was saying, there are many of us in the church, the big C church, who are like that. That we're, we're, straddle, we're straddling a, a metaphorical harbor with one foot in God's kingdom and one foot in the kingdom of this world. And we can't figure out what's wrong. We're struggling. And I was talking with someone after I'd gotten that, that picture a few, a few days after that. And they said, I was talking about this. And they said, what do you mean? One foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. And I realized then, oh, I need to teach on this, you know, because I had not taught people well in this respect. And so let me begin. In the Old Testament, we get the story of the history of Israel from God's choosing them as a unique nation in a unique covenant or agreement with him until the time of the new covenant. When you look at your phone and you pull up, a, you know, your U version, you, you see it's Old Testament and New Testament. That word testament just means covenant. The closest thing we have to it is contract, really. It's pretty close. You have, there's an old contract that was with a unique, special tribe. And then there's a new contract that's made with all of humanity that that special tribe was to usher in and bless the entire world with. So... Uh, Israel's history the, uh, under the old contract, the old covenant, was marked by such 
uh, just a lot of division and war and many times falling out with God and centuries of slavery and subjugation and loss. And a prophetic word began to emerge about the day of the Lord was the phrase. A time when God would defeat all enemies and righteousness and justice would prevail. A time when the kingdom of God would rule over the entire planet. And this prophetic word was given for centuries and centuries. For example, the Hebrew prophet Joel, he gave a very colorful and dire prophecy that said, swing the sickle and the harvest is right. Come, come trample the grapes for the wine press is full, the vats overflow, so great is their wickedness. And then he says this, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. So, when John the Baptist, the baptizer, he, that wasn't his denomination, when John the baptizer appeared after 400 years of no apparent word from God, the first thing he began to say was this. Change your mind. Turn to God. The kingdom of heaven is near. He would use the word repent, which Sounds like a big, ugly religious word. It just means to change the way you think and embrace this. Turn to God because the kingdom of heaven is near or it's upon us. In other words, it's happening now. Then the first thing that Jesus said is what? Turn to God for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is here, is now. The first thing the apostles said to the crowds after they were filled with the Holy Spirit was, turn to God. They actually quote Joel that prophet. They say, turn to God, get out of this current generation. I love the way the message paraphrases that. And actually it says, get out while you can, get out of this sick and stupid culture. <laughs> These guys were blunt. Right? And then they quoted Joe about, you know, that in that first powerful sermon, the first sermon of the Big C Church. In other words, it's decision time. For the kingdom of heaven is here. Now is the time to make decisions. So what we have in the church is a very, I think, underdeveloped understanding of the kingdom of God. A kingdom is just wherever a king rules and exerts power and authority. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God, and specifically Jesus, because he said that all authority had now been given to him, right? So the theologian G.E. Ladd, Back in the day, he gave, a great, he gave some great language in this time of tension that we live in, where the kingdom of God is both, as he called it, now and not yet. Now and not yet. We now live on a planet where God's kingdom, which Jesus talked about constantly and said that he had come to bring, has come, but it is not fully culminated. And here's where it gets weird, so buckle up here. The Apostle John uses very direct language about the reason why Jesus appeared. You know, and it wasn't just to, you know, spout platitudes and, you know, just make us all try to be nice with each other. John writes, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. In other words, Jesus didn't come just to give us platitudes and beg us to be nice people. He came to confront an enemy. Oh. 
and he, he invaded an enemy-occupied territory to liberate the world. So when Paul uses the language of freedom or subjugation or slavery, slavery yeah, there's, there's tie in here. That gives the New Testament stories now a cosmic paradigm and puts it in the context of a war. That when Jesus appeared, there was a clash of kingdoms, of light against darkness, of good against evil, the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. In the same letter, John wrote that this whole world, he writes this in his old age, he writes that this whole world is in the grip of the evil one, a, a malevolent, powerful force called Satan that operates like a spiritual mafia on this planet. And that's why you see an explosion of power encounters in the New Testament that were like, wow, what is going on here? With, in the Gospels with the, with the demonic activity that confronted him and Jesus confronting it because something new has been inaugurated here. But the scriptures also make this pretty crazy claim that the enemy has been defeated, that he was crushed at the cross. And yet, come on. I mean, we're looking at Israel and Palestine and thinking, wow, it is not good. Not all has come to completion here, obviously. Something is still undone. It's obvious that things aren't completed with the proliferation of conflict and wars and obvious evil on our planet. Seventy years ago, the Lutheran theologian Oscar Coleman, who wrote before uh, G.E. Ladd, he wrote that we live analogously like the time between D-Day, when Nazi Germany was in reality defeated in World War II, and Victory in Europe Day, when they actually surrendered. So between the storming of, the Nor of Normandy's beaches on D-Day until V.E. Day, when Germany, you know, when the war was over, that Nazi regime between that time and that time, the actual surrender, was limited in terms of their power and size. They were a defeated nation at that point. It was only a matter of time, and everyone knew it. But did you know that it took nearly a year for the inevitable to happen? From D-Day to Victory in Europe Day, when Nazi Germany actually surrendered, was nearly a year with the highest casualties of World War II. And Coleman's saying, this is the time that we live in. We, we are living spiritually between the time of D-Day and final Victory Day, V-E Day. Our spiritual D-Day occurred when Jesus was crucified and resur resurrected, and God stormed the beaches of this blue planet with a force that was not of this world. The kingdom had come. It's an invasive force of power for the hearts of men and women. Can you see it in that cosmic context? It's, it's bigger than just saying the prayer. But it's now and it's not yet, meaning that until he returns at a spectacular event called the Second Advent, we are at war. And the kingdom of God is now and not yet. And that's confusing, guaranteed. I saw it in my own church. It was confusing to many of us. 
We don't know why certain things happen and certain things don't. And we've forgotten that we're in a war and life is not normal during wartime. Ask the people in Gaza Strip. Life is not normal. And what's more, if I can be frank, many of us haven't even shown up for duty. And so we're trying to live like like nothing's wrong and yet we're caught in the middle of a war between two kingdoms. And worse, we're trying to act like civilians when we're living in a war zone. Life was not normal in France and Italy as the Allied forces violently pushed toward Germany. Life was not normal. And I tell you, church, life is not normal now. When I saw that picture, I realized that that each of us every week, many of us are just struggling because we're trying to straddle two kingdoms. And eventually the earthquake comes. That is when circumstances, life goes south and we collapse. And what I believe that God was saying was that stop straddling. I think that's what the apostles were saying. Stop straddling. Don't do that any longer. Get in while you can. Get in while you can. And the excuses, I mean, we're all in the same boat. The excuses that we use are so self-destructive we don't realize it. Well, you don't, know, you don't know what all has happened to me in my life. Or that person really hurt me. Or I've worked my whole life to get where I'm now. I'm not going to let go of that. Or why won't God give me a partner? Or I'll believe him when he shows me himself. Or why do I have this current crappy job? Or you just don't know what all I've done in my life. And you're right. I don't, you know. But God does. I, I, like, I like what one author said. He said, he writes, that God is not disturbed by the depth of our sin, but the shallowness of our repentance of a world here and a world there, and we straddle it. G.E. Ladd writes, what does it mean to confess Jesus as Lord, to believe in the Lord Jesus? The answer may be found in the demand of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God makes one fundamental demand, the demand for decision. In Christ, the kingdom now confronts us. Oh, And I think that's what Paul is pushing toward. And so, the two kingdoms that we're trying to straddle are killing us. It's why we don't understand spiritual things. It's why we're not effective as a big C church, as a whole church, bringing the good news to the poor and setting the captives free, and bringing sight to the blind, and releasing the oppressed, and proclaiming that now is the time of God's favor and his grace. All the things that Jesus said that we would do just like he did. And so in our personal lives, the earthquake, the circumstances of life comes, and we're shattered. We 
are in pieces. Let, let me show you. Let, look at the two kingdoms here. And look how you can identify how the kingdoms are. And I'm sorry for you balcony people. That's small fun. But it is pride in one kingdom. And selfishness and shame and depression and fear and greed and lust and judgment and loneliness and consumerism and apathy and religion, addictions and divided lives and, and hopelessness. But living in the kingdom of God offers the exact opposite of that dysfunctional slavery that we're straddling. And that kingdom is marked by humility and servanthood and dignity, joy, peace, generosity, generosity, self-control, grace, love, contentment, purpose, relationship, freedom, integration, hope. They are diametrically opposed and Paul is saying, you can live in that one or you can live in this one. It's your choice. And it's not marked by circumcision or by the law. It's by a surrendering to the Spirit of God in each and every decision. Yeah. The job of every church, every local expression of the heart of God, like City Church, OTR, is to announce that the kingdom of God has come and to invite every person we can to the greatest party that will ever happen, every dysfunctional person, every misfit, every outcast, every reject, everyone, no one is to be exempted that the great job of the church is to announce the favorable year of the Lord. The kingdom has come. Get in while you can. We're in the valley of decision. At the vineyard, people didn't say, amen. They would say, that's cool. Yeah, it's low key. Last month, some pop artists like uh, the guy, uh, Tiger from 21 Pilots and John Bellion and One Republic and the Jonas Brothers, and so on, they released uh, some tribute versions of a 20-year-old album by a band called Switchfoot back in the day. And uh, one of the songs was one of their classics called The Beautiful Letdown. It so captures, and I apologize for this, it so captures what we've been looking at that I wanted to read you a part of the lyric at the end of our time together here. And in that song, the lyric says, it was a beautiful letdown when I crashed and burned, when I found myself alone, unknown, and hurt. It was a beautiful letdown. The day I knew that all the riches this world had to offer me would never do. In a world full of bitter pain and bitter doubt, I was trying so hard to fit in until I found out that I don't belong here. I don't belong here. I will carry your cross and your song, but I don't belong. I'm going to set my sight and set sail for the kingdom come. We are a beautiful letdown. Painfully uncool, the church of the dropouts and losers and sinners and failures and fools. Join us. He wants you too. Oh. Dang, I'm a Switchfoot fan. <laughs> I couldn't say it any better. The kingdom of God demands a response. Is there anything challenging your faith? right now that you're struggling with in terms of faith. Here's what's interesting. The Scottish writer, uh, 
Oswald Chambers. He once wrote that faith must be tested because it can only become your intimate possession through conflict. You're in a war, my friend. There are two kingdoms colliding on this planet right now. And the problem is you can't fight for the truth and you certainly can't live it when you're straddling two kingdoms. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, I mean, at one point, James thought Jesus, he thought Jesus was crazy. That's his brother. How would you like to have a brother who did everything perfectly, right? And so James, later on in life, becomes a full-throated, full-believing follower that his brother, Jesus, (laughs) of a different father, was really the Messiah, the Son of God. James said, don't be double-minded. He's saying the same thing. Don't straddle these two kingdoms. So the question is, do you have one foot in the kingdom of this world and one foot in the kingdom of God? It's easy to do. I'm telling you, the earthquake is coming. And that is your valley of decision. That's your valley of decision. It won't make sense until you get that foot out of that world and you plop both into the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you come in the power of your Holy Spirit right now in this place. Come, Lord. Holy Spirit, fall upon us. God, every day we make small decisions that move our hearts toward one kingdom or the other. And God, I pray right now that each of us in this room would say enough. Straddling both worlds is killing me. It's killing me. I can't do it. And it's either I'm fully going to trust you, God, or there's nothing else. I fully trust and depend on your spirit on your grace, on your mercy, on your power, on your goodness, on your grace, on your love for me. And I say, that's enough. That's enough for me. I'm all in. So Father, I pray for any of us here, maybe are at that point, just the realization that we have been trying to work both worlds and it doesn't work for us. God, I pray that we would change that today. Father, I especially pray for any of us here who maybe have never made that first step and that this is all new and it's a little confusing and I'm not sure what I think about all this. Father, I pray that by the power of your spirit, God, you would just draw them to yourself by your love pray right now, God, that for those of us who are in that place, we would cry out from the depths of our heart, Jesus, rescue me. Pull me in. Pull me in. Save me, oh God. 
that I might be fully yours, fully decided, and fully in. I give you my life. I give you the broken pieces of my heart, God. Would you make me whole in you? Come, be my Lord, be my God. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for this place. Thank you for what this church means, what it stands for, for you. Blessed in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Sunday service. If we can serve you in any way, please visit our website at citychurchotr.com. If you want to be a part of what God is doing in Cincinnati, you can support us financially. Giving can also be done on our website at citychurchotr.com give.